We all experience self-doubt, so doubting our abilities. But imposter syndrome is deeper than self-doubt because imposter syndrome is when you are lacking belief at your identity level. Welcome back to another episode of In Pursuit Podcast. Today's guest is Alison Shamir. Alison is an imposter syndrome expert, coach and speaker, media contributor, and former technology leader. Through her work, Alison empowers global audiences with the knowledge, tools, and methods grounded in neuroscience they need to overcome imposter syndrome, build unshakable confidence, and achieve the success they desire and deserve. Alison is also a passionate advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. She combines both lived experience and professional expertise to help her clients make transformative change. Alison, it's great to have you. First of all, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because today you're going to help us demystify imposter syndrome, which I think is very important to understand, especially if you want to go further in life, in career, or in terms of building wealth. And of course, you're going to share with us some tactics too. So I'm really, really excited. Well, thank you, Jenna. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, congratulations on this podcast. It's um, such a wonderful thing that you're doing. So thank you for having me. That's great. So Alison, I want to jump right in. Tell us what is an imposter syndrome and what are the signs or symptoms if someone is having one? Yeah, sure. So imposter syndrome is actually far more common than people realize. And the thing is, is many suffer with imposter syndrome and don't actually realize that it has a name or that it is a real thing. So what imposter syndrome is, is a series of feelings where you believe that you're not as intelligent, talented, qualified, or capable as other people think you are despite clear evidence of your ability and and your accomplishments. So when we have imposter syndrome, we are plagued by a feeling that we're going to be exposed or found out to be some kind of intellectual phony or fraud, which is where the name comes from. And this is despite evidence of the contrary. So despite the fact that we are intelligent, we are qualified, we are competent, you know, we are doing well in our job. We still have this pesky feeling that somebody is about to tap us on the shoulder and say, you don't belong here or you're not smart enough to be here. And this is the essence of what imposter syndrome is. It's that persistent feeling of being exposed or found out to be some kind of fraud when in fact you're not. And it's estimated to impact around 70% of individuals across the globe. So that's the majority of us will experience this throughout our careers and lives, which is why it's really important to understand it. In terms of the other part of your question, so to understand if you are experiencing imposter syndrome, you have to have that feeling that, you know, you're about to be found out or exposed as not good enough, not smart enough, not qualified enough. 
despite evidence of the contrary. So if you're feeling that way and you have an inability to truly internalize your success and really own it and say, hey, like I am meant to be here, I am good enough, I am smart enough, then that's a key signal that you're experiencing imposter syndrome. Some of the other ways that it can show up are an excessive fear of failure, criticism, and mistakes. Now, none of us like to fail, right, or, or be criticized. So, but when you have imposter syndrome, you have a real or can have a real excessive fear of these things because you feel that one little mistake could be the mistake that people all of a sudden find out, you know, that you're the fraud that you feel that you are which of course is not true. It's just the imposter syndrome talking. So if you have a real excessive fear of failure, criticism and mistakes, because you're fearful that somebody might finally find out that you don't deserve to be where you are, that's another key hallmark of imposter syndrome. We tend to catastrophize. So even the smallest minute you know, error can be seen as a catastrophe, which is why perfectionism is heavily linked to imposter syndrome. So another way it can show up is in high perfectionist tendencies. Another one I want to mention is if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you have often, you have an inability to accept praise or compliments. So you can become very good at deflecting praise, you know, and saying that you just got lucky or, you know, that you're only where you are because somebody else opened some doors for you or basically deferring off your success to third parties or anything other than your own hard work can be a telltale sign of imposter syndrome and deflecting praise. So somebody comes to you and says, great job today, or you did an excellent job in leading that project. And if you're very quick to deflect and say, oh gosh, it was nothing, or anyone could have done that, or you know, it was easy, So this inability to internalize our success, this inability to take credit for our own work and really own our expertise or our accomplishments or our qualifications is another telltale sign that somebody might be experiencing imposter syndrome. Interesting. And how is it different from self-doubt? So self-doubt, the real difference between them is that self-doubt is usually, well, let me reframe that. We all experience self-doubt, so doubting our abilities. But imposter syndrome is deeper than self-doubt because imposter syndrome is when you are lacking belief at your identity level. So it is tied to who you believe you are or are not. So how we differentiate the two is you can you can doubt yourself and it not be imposter syndrome because you're doubting your ability to do a task, and that could be because you've never done that task before. So an element of self-doubt is natural. But how you know it's imposter syndrome is if you have done that task several times before, or if you are qualified, or if you are experienced, or if you're in the job already, and you're having this chronic doubt about your ability despite evidence of your talent, accomplishment, success, that's when you know you've crossed the line into imposter syndrome. And it's when you're attacking yourself at an identity level point of view. So what I mean by that is when you have imposter syndrome, you use a lot of I-based statements. I am not good enough. I am not worthy of this success. I will never be as good as Jenna, you know, or the people around you. You're very much I, I, I attacking yourself at an identity level because you believe deep down 
that you're not good enough because imposter syndrome is in itself or at its core a limiting belief. Whereas if you're just having a moment of self-doubt, it is often heavily linked to something that you're about to do as opposed to necessarily pulling yourself down at the core of who you are or at your identity level belief system. So to be clear for everyone listening, if you have imposter syndrome, you will be doubting yourself, but you can experience self-doubt, which is in itself the opposite of confidence. So your self-doubt is high. It means you're, you're having a dip in confidence. However, confidence has nothing to do with imposter syndrome because you can be the most confident person in the room and still experience imposter syndrome because confidence is about what you do what you're portraying. Imposter syndrome is about who you believe you are at your core identity. So there's some of the key differentiators between them. The big misconception out there is just because you doubt yourself, you automatically have imposter syndrome. And that's not true. If you don't have a persistent feeling that you're going to be exposed or found out to be some kind of intellectual, you know, phony or fraud, then it's not imposter syndrome. That is the core hallmark is this fear that someone's going to find out, you know, find out in inverted commas that you're not good enough, talented enough, qualified enough. That is what drives it into imposter syndrome territory and attacking yourself at your core belief system. I am not worthy. I am not good enough. I will never be as good as that other person. Look out for those language cues. That's how you know you might be teetering in imposter syndrome territory, as opposed to just having a very common moment of self-doubt. I see. All right. Is there any specific gender who are more susceptible to imposter syndrome? Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. And there was a lot of talk for a lot of years because imposter syndrome was first coined imposter phenomenon, which is actually its official name in the 1970s. So it's been researched, pulled apart, analyzed, you know, discussed, et cetera, for nearly 50 years. And the original conversations were based around high-performing women. Uh, However, as early as the 1980s, men started to come into the conversation. And it's now, look, the most recent global research on sort of gender happened around 2019, and it is now commonly accepted that imposter syndrome impacts men and women equally around the world. So it's almost 50-50, but how it impacts us can be very different based on our gender, based on the culture that we were raised in, our societal expectations, our family dynamics. That's where you start to see the differences in terms of how it shows up and the conditioning that we had, you know, throughout our careers, things like socioeconomic status, uh, religion, as I said, cultural expectations, education expectations, all of these things can play a part in how imposter syndrome shows up, but it is estimated to impact men and women. We just speak about those two core genders at the moment equally, um, you know, as we sit in 2022. How does imposter syndrome affects our life, our career, and in terms of, you know, earning money in general? Yeah, look, I mean, I could speak on that (laughs) question for hours. It is a very complex thing, imposter syndrome, meaning that it isn't a one-size-fits-all experience. So how my imposter syndrome impacted me in my past before I, I conquered it is, isn't necessarily the same as how it impacts, you know, you or other people out there. So we have our unique journey. The key sort of thing that happens to all of us is it causes us to self-sabotage. 
which means choose behaviours that work against us and have a negative impact not only on our results but how we feel and think, you know, and our mental and emotional and even physical makeup. So some key examples of self-sabotage that is heavily linked to imposter syndrome is perfectionism. So fixating, you know, on every particular detail, trying to control every particular thing and believe that you need to be perfect, right, in, in, in order to outrun the imposter syndrome is a very vicious cycle that a lot of us can get stuck in when, when we have it. Also, really dangerous negative self-talk cycle. So constantly putting ourselves down, constantly speaking to ourselves nasty, which makes, you know, damages our confidence, our self-esteem and our self-worth more. It can cost us our voice. So we don't apply for the jobs that we want to apply for because we're so fearful. We work against ourselves. We don't speak up in meetings. We don't advocate for ourselves. We don't negotiate our own salaries or our own worth properly. So it costs us money. There are financial impacts. We don't invest or take opportunities. We don't come and speak to people like you, you know, to to build our wealth because we're just so fearful of people finding out that we are not good enough, not qualified enough. So they're just some of the ways that it can cause us to self-sabotage. Another big one is we can get stuck in overworking or what we call chronic overworking cycles. Because we're driven by this fear, this imposter syndrome that someone's going to find out, you know, we're not good enough, we're not qualified enough, we're not talented enough. A self-sabotaging cycle that's very common is we overwork. So we start working 70, 80, 100 hour weeks. We do more. We're the first in the office, the last to leave, because we're constantly thinking that if we just do more, if we outperform, if we do more hours, that nobody will ever find out that we are not good enough, right? Which again, are just behaviors that are driven by that inherent belief that our imposter syndrome is is making us hold on to. So it has very wide damaging effects on our mental health, on our physical health. It can drive us to burnout. Imposter syndrome is heavily linked to other mental health conditions such as chronic anxiety, other chronic stress disorders, depression, addiction, um, as well as burnout, as I said. So the impacts are very high in a negative way, and that has detrimental effects to our ongoing confidence and, as I said, things like our self-esteem as well. So we all have a self-sabotaging cycle we fall into when we have imposter syndrome. So for everyone listening, when you start to think about, you know, having these feelings of imposter syndrome, ask yourself, you know, this question, how is it impacting your thoughts and your behaviours? Because what happens is, is we start to have these really nasty thoughts where we keep telling ourselves, you know, we're not good enough, we're not qualified enough, we'll never be able to do the things that we want to do. That's commonly referred to as the inner critic voice. You might have heard of that before. And when we've got all these negative thoughts going through our head, it impacts our behaviours. So yes, we overwork or we avoid situations we should be in. It costs us our voice. We lean on perfectionism, which is a is a huge self-sabotaging behaviour. And all of these things have detrimental impacts on our health, on our career, on the decisions that we make, on the money that we can make throughout our career. So Imposter syndrome is something we want to get a handle on pretty quickly before it derails, you know, your career essentially and then filters through into your personal life as well. It's interesting that you mentioned some people who's experiencing imposter syndrome 
tend to avoid negotiating their salary because I was having this conversation with my friend and a client of mine as well about salary negotiation because we're looking into her finances. And I said, the only way you can achieve your financial goal is to increase your income. And she doesn't want to do a side hustle. She doesn't want to have a business. And I said, Mm. the easiest way for you is to negotiate your salary. And I think you're qualified to negotiate because I know her personally as well. And then she was like, no, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And I said, you are qualified to negotiate your salary. You have been in this company for quite a while. Is it an imposter syndrome? Well, it sounds like it. So I can't, without speaking to that person directly, I, I of course can't, you know, give a diagnosis on that for, for a better word, but sounds like it based on you know what you've shared and again that imposter syndrome showing up in us when we are qualified when we are talented I guess my question to your client would have been you know what is she you know afraid of and and getting to the underlying core of really what's driving that behavior but certainly yes it sounds like it because if she has all of the sort of experience, you know, and uh, and the avenues to advocate or negotiate with herself and she doesn't want to do that, then yes, there's a high chance it could be some imposter syndrome holding her back. And, and if it is, that's a great example of how it can cost us both opportunity but also money tied to opportunity. And that has compounding effects, which is something I wanted to share with you today. So as you know, if we, it's that, you know, old proverb, isn't it, of, you know, the whether we, we know what was it the best time to to plant a tree you know it was 20 years ago and the second best time is now you know and we we all have those analogies around money and investment and growth and yes there'll always be you know other opportunities but when we miss opportunities there is a risk that they compound meaning to your point if your client or whoever is in a similar situation doesn't negotiate or grow their wealth now then that has compounding effects because then they're waiting longer, they're not earning as much money, they have less to invest, and it creates these wealth gaps as we get more experienced in our career, as you move into retirement or whatever somebody wants to do with their money. So it is important that we navigate imposter syndrome if it is holding an individual back. But yes, you know, she is definitely showcasing telltale signs of imposter syndrome and imposter behaviors. It's that, you know, I've got the qualifications, I've got the talent, I'm doing the job now, or I have the opportunity, you know, to grow wealth or have the opportunity to get a promotion and not taking it, you know, is a telltale sign of where imposter syndrome can stall some people for sure. What do you think is the first step in overcoming imposter syndrome? What are your best practices? The first step is to just self-identify and truly ask yourself, do you believe you're experiencing it? So hopefully, you know, some of the information I've shared in this podcast gives people that insight because imposter syndrome impacts around 70% of individuals. But what's unique about it is we feel like we're the only ones experiencing it because it's deep, because it's tied to a deeply rooted belief, you know, that that we're holding, that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not talented enough, despite evidence of our competence, our success, our accomplishments. And this is what makes imposter syndrome unique because we do have the runs on the board or we do have the ability or we do have the education. We're just temporarily blocked from connecting with it. And in order to really navigate your way through imposter syndrome, we have to understand why 
are you holding this belief that you're not good enough or not worthy enough? So the first is firstly to identify and say to yourself, do you really believe you're experiencing imposter syndrome? You know, are you resonating with what I'm saying? If you are, you know, great in terms of there's plenty of help out there and I've got lots of free content on my website as well. So that's the first step. Then the second step is to ask yourself, why are you carrying this belief. So for those of us with imposter syndrome, it was essentially the origin of it was something that happened in our past and has now been brought out by a current situation. So for many of us, the seed of not feeling good enough, not feeling, you know, talented enough, those sorts of things was planted in our childhood or adolescent years. And so it could have been something that happened in our family dynamic. It could have been something that a parent or caregiver said to us or somebody around us, but something happened in our past that planted a seed that may, and which we've now carried through to not feeling good enough, worthy enough now that we're adults. And that's what comes out as imposter syndrome in 70% of us. So the second step is to find out why are you holding on to this belief? What happened in your past that made you feel this way? And not because we have to overanalyze it or spend too much time in the past, but because you need to understand how is it appearing in your present day life, the how and why that self-awareness is really important. And then the third part is I want you to sit down and think about what behavior is it making you do? So how is it making you self-sabotage? Are you not using your voice when you need to? Are you getting caught in perfectionist cycles? Are you overworking trying to prove yourself? You know, are you avoiding situations that you should be in? And is that costing you financially or is it costing you opportunities? You need to get really clear on how it is impacting your behavior right now. So once you've done these steps, the picture will start to become really clear. And then the fourth step is you need to choose a new behavior. Now, this isn't easy. I want to be very clear to everyone listening to this. Imposter syndrome is not an overnight fix. So even doing the steps that I'm talking about right now, they need to be done in repetition and they need to be done over the course of a few weeks or a few months. We cannot just click our fingers and turn off imposter syndrome because the behavior that it is making us do are patterns that have been embedded into us. They have become our defaults. They're embedded in our subconscious, which is the part of your mind you're thinking is almost automated. So we've got these automatic negative behaviors that are going on and we can't just click our fingers and switch them off. I, I wish we could. That would be amazing. It takes practice and it takes repetition. So back to the fourth step I was going to share is once you've identified that self-sabotaging behavior, you need to replace it with a new confident behavior. And only through practicing that new behavior will that help us move through imposter syndrome. And one of the best steps that you can do to redirect negative behavior is find somebody that you trust and that you can talk to about your imposter syndrome. So whether that's a colleague, a coach, a therapist, find someone that you trust, that you feel safe with, and start talking about these imposter feelings and behaviors that you have, because we all need support in moving through imposter syndrome. We need support in rewriting that limiting belief that we're holding on to that we're not good enough, you know, worthy enough, qualified enough, because you are, and that is why you're experiencing imposter syndrome. That's the irony of it. It only impacts those of us that are qualified, intelligent, capable, competent. 
it only impacts those of us that are pushing our comfort zones, that are trying to do great things. That's the irony of it. It doesn't impact the people who aren't capable or who don't want to do those things. So just know that you are capable you are deserving of what you want to achieve. You're experiencing something that is very common and I don't want you to continue suffering in silence. So identify whether you really are experiencing it. Have a think about why you feel this way. What happened in your past or what experience around you made you feel this way? The third part is how do you believe it's negatively impacting your behaviour? So if you really sit in a quiet space with yourself and you journal down, you know, how it's making you behave, you're going to come to pretty quickly what the main self-sabotaging behaviour is that you're doing, you know, such as not speaking up, stuck in perfectionism. And then I want you to think about a new behaviour that serves you better. Can you talk to somebody? Can you do a different action? Can you seek some supportive advice? We need to turn our attention to new conscious behaviours because the only way to come out of imposter syndrome is to act your way out of imposter syndrome. You cannot think your way out of imposter syndrome because it's taken over your thoughts, it's taken over your subconscious automatic thinking. The only way to interrupt that thinking, that negative imposter-driven thought cycle is by taking action. We must take a new action. They are the four steps to start with, and we need to do these on repeat. And that's where I would advise all of you to start. There's also some wonderful information out there, creditable information on imposter syndrome. So I've got some on my website and on my social media accounts. I post a lot of free information where people can educate themselves. I know, you know, you found some of my information as well, which what is what led us together. So Look for creditable experts out there like myself. Read some articles. They'll help you self-identify. I have a lot of great coaching tips in my blogs on my website as well. So immerse yourself in free and expert content and start to think about the ways in which it's impacting you. Because if we don't find a way to move through it, it will actually go on to continually impact you throughout your life. It very, very rarely goes away. It's something that will just keep staying with you and we want we actually want it to go away. We don't want to make friends with our imposter syndrome. We want to get rid of our imposter syndrome and that's what I help individuals do. Is it going to go away 100% or is it a continuous process of overcoming and overcoming? And I'm curious to know if you still experience imposter syndrome. Mm, great, great question. The answer, but to the first piece of your question, you know, does it uh, does it go away entirely or does it stay yeah. with us? It comes down to the individual. So there are individuals who have conquered their imposter syndrome, like jumped on it, done the work, worked on it several months, done the repetition, and now have complete control of it. It doesn't show up anymore. Mm-hmm. Then there are others who it does show up regularly, but they just learn to manage it and ensure that it doesn't hold them back from doing what they want to do. They realize that it is a moment of, you know, what I call imposter moments, and they can talk themselves down faster. The difference between, well, how do you know which one of those, you know, you end up being comes down to the individual and what is triggering your imposter syndrome in the first place. So some of us work in environments where we are constantly triggered to feel like an imposter. And so if you're in an environment where the people around you or the culture that you're working in or a lack of diversity or bullying and harassment or, you know, you're constantly climbing the ranks of where you are, there are multiple what we call triggers of imposter syndrome and they can be something really good like getting a promotion or an opportunity or something really bad like bullying or harassment. 
But if you're the more frequently you're around the trigger that's surfacing the feeling, then the more likely you are to learn just to manage it and cope with it and not let it hold you back. Whereas if you're in an environment where you have minimal triggers or you have much more control over the environment and therefore, you know, nothing sort of bad or negative is coming your way, then you're more likely to be able to conquer it entirely. Your environment plays a significant part in this journey. I want to be clear on that. Yes, there's self-work and the things that we can control with imposter syndrome, but there are environmental factors as well we must take in. So to close that loop, the answer is it depends on the individual. From my perspective, so I have had control of my imposter syndrome or essentially eliminated it entirely in the work that I have done. So my journey and what led me to you today and becoming an expert in this topic is I used to suffer badly from imposter syndrome. And nine years ago, my previous life as a technology leader, it caused me to have quite a severe panic attack in my office. And um, as I said earlier, imposter syndrome is heavily linked to things like chronic anxiety. And I ended up having a very, very extreme um, and debilitating panic attack. And that really changed the course of my life and career nine years ago and led me to be where I am today. So I would definitely say that I have conquered my own imposter syndrome. And, you know, now that I'm an expert in it, of course, I use my own tools and those sorts of things. But um, it very, very, very rarely shows up for me. And if it does, I'm able to talk myself down from it very, very quickly, because I'm able to identify that I'm having, you know, that feeling is creeping up, and I'm able to immediately assess the situation, and then do what I'm sharing with all of you today, and not let it not have it force me to self-sabotage. I'm very quick to step back and say, okay, why am I feeling this way? What has triggered me? And what is a more confident, helpful behavior I can do so I don't self-sabotage? I haven't escaped imposter syndrome either. And that's what led me to study it you know, quite intensively and be where I am today because I know and speak to audiences all around the world how debilitating it can be in a multitude of ways if you don't get a handle on it. And it's very important to anyone listening to this that if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, no amount of success will outrun imposter syndrome. In fact, in particular for women, the more successful you become, the more aggressive your imposter feelings can actually become as well if you don't manage or overcome it entirely. And it's the same for men as well. Men can't outrun imposter syndrome either. So a lot of us, the reason why I'm sharing that with you now is because a lot of people sit there and say, oh, yes, well, I'm feeling this way now. But when I, you know, work with Jenna or when I start my new portfolio or when I get my new job or when I get this new qualification or, you know, accreditation, I'm going to be fine. All of these feelings are going to go away, but that's not the reality of what happens. They stay with you. So I often say to all of my clients, the way to overcome imposter syndrome is to actually tackle it head on. Like any fear, we actually must run at it. We must strategically pull it apart. And each time we do that, we strip away its power. But if we step back from it, if we feel like it's going to go away on its own, it actually just grows in strength, like a fireball coming straight at us. So go back to the four tips I shared earlier. They're great self-awareness pieces. Highly recommend journaling these experiences as well, jotting them down so when you, you know, you've 
got a clear track record of how you're experiencing it, when you're experiencing it, and how it's making you behave. All of this data is very valuable to navigating your way through imposter syndrome. It's very, it gives you clarity. Clarity is great for confidence. And those two things combined help you navigate your way through imposter syndrome much more successfully than just sitting back. Because if you sit back, it grows stronger. Speaking of journaling, any journaling prompt that you can share with us, like specific questions that they can ask themselves when they journal? Yes. God, these are great. These are great questions. (laughs) Very good questions. Um, And I'm a big fan of journaling, right? Whether that's literally in a journal, whether it's tracking things in a spreadsheet, whatever the individual is looking for, because when we get out of our minds and, and into verbally or into writing, we have a much clearer perspective, right? And, and we see things differently. And to answer your questions, journal prompts in terms of imposter syndrome comes down to these. So it's kind of like a what, why, how approach in that what triggered my imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. So, you know, why, why am I feeling this way? What triggered my feelings is important to note down. What was the behavior it made me do? How has that behavior made me feel? And what is a new action I would prefer to take that serves me better? And so these are some of the key problems. And the final part is who can I talk to about what I'm writing down? Because none of us come through imposter syndrome on our own, which is the other thing that I wanted to share. So I'm not suggesting that you have to come to a coach like me or invest in a coach, but even just speaking to a friend that you trust even speaking to a mentor or somebody that provides psychological safety for you. It doesn't have to be somebody whose services you're going and paying for, but it can be if you wish to be. But elevating this conversation is very important. It will make you feel less alone. Again, when we start to verbalize these things that we are writing down, we see things from a different perspective. So they are the key journal prompts that I would recommend always when it comes to imposter syndrome. And what are they going to do? They're going to give you clarity and they're going to help you track, is it the same trigger that's sort of surfacing these feelings? Is it changing throughout your day, your week? And so a quick example of that is if you're journaling and saying, right, well, today I had an imposter moment because I was sitting in a meeting with this person and the way that they were treating me or the things that they said to me made me feel those sort of imposter feelings. And if each time you journal down, your same trigger is that person, then there's the common denominator where you know that that particular person or that particular situation is what's surfacing those feelings. So this data and these journaling prompts becomes very important on your journey through imposter syndrome because what happens is it tries to keep us stuck in our own head. Imposter syndrome wants to battle us in our thoughts because it's winning when it stays in our head. But when you get those journal prompts down, when you get the information, when you start to put a bit of a data, you know, driven approach around it, you strip away its power and it becomes a very practical application. And that's our way through imposter syndrome is to get out of our minds down into paper, down into some tickle exercises and figuring out some different behaviours and actions that we can take to move us through it. And it's through those actions, I just want to tie it back to what I said earlier, when we're holding this belief that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy enough, we need to develop more evidence and take more action in order to connect with that to help rewrite that limiting belief that we're holding. 
So all of this action serves a purpose. All of this action boosts confidence, which is really important as well, and helps us reconnect with the evidence of what we've actually done, what we're really capable of, what we should be doing. And it gives us some clear guidelines to move through imposter syndrome as well. These are all good tips. I think we can start doing it right away after listening to this episode. And thank you so much for sharing that. And any final message uh, to our listeners? And uh, where can we find you if we want to dive in more into this topic and to get some help if we want to? Yes, no, thank you. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And thank you as well from me to you for elevating the conversation around this very important topic because as I said, a lot of people feel alone. And I know a lot of people listening to this podcast will get a sense of, oh my goodness, you know, it's not just me experiencing this. And it provides a level of support. So thank you very much for creating this platform. And outside of the tips that I've shared, I just highly recommend people if they want to educate themselves, go out there and read some creditable information on imposter syndrome. And What I mean by um, creditable information is ensure that you're reading information from people who are experts on imposter syndrome or from creditable sites where you do have research or people sharing, you know, key information, not just personal opinions. Please head to my website, alisonshamir.com. I've got some great blogs on there, as I mentioned, with great sort of free insights, um, coaching tips. If you want to come and read more about my work, I also post a lot on LinkedIn and Instagram and my preferred platforms. You can find me at Alison Shamir across all of those platforms. And if you have questions, comments or feedback, you can please feel free to write to me directly, slide into one of my inboxes, um, or you can get in contact with me through my website as well. But educate yourself on the key information that's out there. Think about your own experience know that you're not alone and certainly start to do some of those tips that I've shared today. And you're at a great starting point to really start doing that deep change work that's needed to overcome imposter syndrome. And the overarching thing I want to share is find somebody that you trust or a few people that you trust, you know, the more the better and start speaking to them about your experience because it's highly likely they have experienced it too or might be experiencing it right now. And they can be, you know, the empathetic ear, they can be a support, they can be a guidance or a confidant for you to help you move through your imposter syndrome as well. Again, Alison Shamir, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure, Jenna. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey to pursue your dreams. If you love the episode, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can follow me on Instagram at Janeline Sekdalan. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episode every other week, so see you on the next episode.